The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. your eyes. It's half past midnight, and you're listening to the Ghost Story Pass. Welcome to the Ghost Story, guys. I'm Brennan Storr. I'm Ian Gibbs. And this is a show where we talk about spooks, specters, and all the other things watching us from the shadows beyond the campfire. Some conversations only make sense after the sun has set, and this is most definitely one. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode number 77, and we're coming to you from that tiny mountain cabin you dream about but can never quite reach. How you doing, Ian? I am doing much better than last time, Brennan. How are you? I am so much better. I, <laughs> my voice still can't quite go as deep as I'd like. Right. But uh, yeah, I no longer sound like I'm slowly being choked to death. Oh. And I I was actually able to, uh, or, pardon me, I now can regularly leave the house. Oh, excellent. Because I was stuck inside for almost two weeks, and you know how twitchy I get. I know. Oh, yeah. man. No, I, not good. And, and it's fitting, I guess, then, that we're doing an episode on haunted prisons. Because <laughs> you were just leaving one. <laughs> oh, was I ever. Sweet zombie Jesus. Yeah, no, I get it. I now don't feel like I'm going to choke whenever I laugh, so that's oh, that helps. Yeah, that helps. Um, I'm a big but, fan of air. Yeah, air's yep. good. Moving on. <laughs> so yes, on this episode, we're going to be talking about haunted prisons, mm-hmm. actually inspired by two uh, listener messages. That's right. Yeah. One of which was sent in for an episode we were going to do on first responders yeah. or another episode on first responders, but it was such a great series of stories that we kind of started building this prison episode around it. And I guess it should be no surprise that there are a lot of stories about I shouldn't say a lot. There, there are a number of stories about haunted prisons. Well, I think they're very similar to hospitals, right? Like all the emotions that are involved in there um, and the comings and goings, uh, you know, departures, at least not so many arrivals. But it's that same sort of energy, I think, where people are there a lot of times against their will. Right. Uh, a lot of times in very stressful or emotionally upsetting situations. And people die there. Like, yeah, no, absolutely. So it does make a lot of sense to me that they would be so haunted. What was really interesting, though, in in uh, doing the research for this and some of the stuff Luke sent me is that, uh, and, and I think given that you work, you know, in, in a police environment, I think you'll understand this. It's such a closed off ecosystem. Oh, yeah. It's, it's really difficult to find first person stories from people who either worked or inhabited prisons. Yes. Be- I was lucky in the book uh, to meet both. Right. Um, I've worked with a, a bunch of students who, uh, a few of them are now guards. Right. Uh, or sorry, correctional officers. Of course. And uh, they, I actually got to go on a tour of the one here in Victoria. And then in my younger days, when I was working for the church, probably went into five or six prisons. Two of them were maximum. Wow. Yeah. And it is a very different feel emotionally. Like, you know you're not at a community center. Of course, yeah. Right? yeah and and that's bet. even without seeing the bars. You know, you can feel it. Well, we've got a whole whack of stories, so we should just get to it. 
On this episode, we have more music, courtesy of Kevin Eustace, yes. host of the podcast, We Need to Talk About Ghosts, and incredible musician. You can find more from Kevin on his, uh, well, on his podcast, or by looking him up anywhere you stream your music. Again, that's Kevin J. Eustace from the podcast, We Need to Talk About Ghosts, is our guest composer on this episode. Coming up after the break, Haunted Prisons. Welcome back. As we said before the break on this episode, we're going to be telling stories from haunted prisons. And, and as I mentioned, it was tough to find stuff from, especially from working prisons. Sure. You know, that that's why uh, our listener, Michael, who sent stories in from the place he works in Florida. Thank you, Michael. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you to our other listener who sent a story in from their visit to Alcatraz. But to find something from someone in a working prison, uh, very, very difficult. I, I think we only have two or three stories from working prisons on right. this episode. Right. I really wanted stories from uh, Angola, which is the uh, Louisiana State Penitentiary down in uh, down Louisiana. Oh, okay. Um, I thought you meant the country in Africa. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> as I understand it, it was called Angola because it was the prison was built on the site of a plantation oh. where a number of the uh, a number of the, the uh, slaves, I guess, were taken from Angola. Oh my god! I don't know if that's true or not. That's what I read. That would be pretty awful. Yeah, but um, again, it's still a working prison. And so, uh, I couldn't really crack that nut, but no. I did manage to find a little bit of stuff. And, and there's a few prisons where we managed to find little tiny bits of stuff. Yeah. So on this episode slipped in among the larger stories, we have a section called bits <laughs> and it's just, you know, two or three sentences, kind of like we did on the uh, haunted healthcare episode right? Yeah. when we found that nurses forum. Yeah. So it's just little bits from uh, prisons, some working, most not. And things that would couldn't really be developed into a larger story, but I just think bolster this idea that prisons are scary as hell. Yeah, no, they really are. Have I been in a, I think, oh, we've been in Alcatraz. I think that's the closest I've been. I've been in a few in Alberta and Ontario when I was in a <laughs> country gospel. Band. Of course. We went into a number of them. And I remember my first time going to maximum security, assuming there'd be some kind of screen oh. between us and the prisoners. <laughs> right. And I was a very cute 20 year old and realizing sort of a quarter of the way into the concert that half of them were looking at me because they wanted to kill me and the other half because they wanted to do something else to me. And Serenade you. Yes. And being very aware that there was literally nothing between me and them. Oh. That was... Uh, you're never more aware of the thin veneer of civility. <laughs> right? And I remember them making us drive our equipment van over a pit so they could, like, go under it and look. Of course. And then the guys got put in one room and the girls got put in another room and we just stripped, stripped down to our underwear. Really? And, yeah. And they told us that if there was a lockdown, we weren't going anywhere. So we needed oh, to be aware of that. Holy shit. Yeah. And I'm, like, 20. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> and so dumb. Um, I mean, it's a great cautionary tale. You're not going to do anything that's going to get you in prison. Oh, 100%. But the other side of it is, I mean, we get this idea of what prisoners are. But I remember being in one of the more medium, kind of lower security prisons and really hitting it off with one of the guys. Like, we were we were chatting and talking and talking about cars and, and instruments because he played guitar as well. And we're just doing all that stuff. And 
he helped us with our gear. And at the end of it, he's like, hey, can I grab a ride? And, I'm, and without even thinking, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, of course. And then he looks at me and he starts laughing. And I'm like, oh, that was funny. <laughs> oh, that's great. But what it occurred to me was um, you don't get to walk through society. You don't get to walk through the big open world and be like, oh, there's a prisoner. You don't know. No. These guys do not look like monsters. They're just regular people. And unfortunately for a lot of them, they're in there. Because of a bad choice they made in a specific situation. Right. A lot of times under the influence of drugs or alcohol. Right. And now they're paying for that split second bad decision. They're not like bad people. Right. That was a huge learning for me at 2021 um, to realize that people in prison aren't necessarily bad prison. Are, are there or bad people? Are there bad people in prisons? Oh, hell yeah. Sure, yeah, of course. Um, and I ran into plenty of those. <laughs> but there's also a lot of really good people in there who just made stupid choices. Yep. No, that's very true. I mean, I uh, I, I have to be very circumspect, but, you know, there there were situations where I was working with people who were on, the, you know, sort of a little bit on the far side of that, yeah. line, of that line. Yeah. And they were, yeah, they weren't bad people. They no. were just making a living in a way that at the time was... Yeah. Uh, not, yeah, not considered legal. And I think the fascinating thing, and, and obviously I'm, I am painfully middle-class. So, I mean, I, I don't really have a, a vantage point on this. I, don't, I mean, I'm lucky enough to know a lot of people who work in law enforcement, yeah. but that's as close as I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, I think it's, it's, there are places where the line is so transparent. Yeah. I think it's very easy to end up on the wrong side of it. I think so. And uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of circumstances to nudge you over that line. Let's get to the stories. Our first story is actually from my book, Victoria's Most Haunted, available where all fine books are sold. And uh, it's on our local prison here, uh, which is nicknamed the Wilkie. The Wilkinson Jail, the complex of buildings now known as the Vancouver Island Regional Correctional Center, has had a rich and storied life, which may explain why so many spirits and ghosts still wander the halls. In researching this building, I not only had the opportunity to talk to a couple of correctional officers, I also had a chance to tour the facility and get my own impressions of this rather foreboding institution. It started as the Saanich Prison Farm, built in 1941 to welcome 38 prisoners from the old jail. The Colquitt's mental home was located in the building from 1919 to 1964. After almost 45 years as a mental home, the building reverted to its original purpose and became the Ocala Prison Farm in 1966. Regardless of its name or its use, this building has seen its share of trouble. Violence, escapes, and even the murder of a police officer in the 1960s have all occurred on the grounds. The combination of jail and mental hospital is a great recipe for unrest and ghosts. One of the correctional officers had an experience a few years ago. He was sitting in one of the units, the units of kitchens and seating areas with cells off to the side. He was right in the middle of the castle facade in the main building. The windows in the facade were all closed. The officer was doing some paperwork when he heard what he thought was the wind picking up. He didn't think much of it. After that, he heard a clunk, looked up, and saw the coffee pot fly off the counter. It traveled nine or ten feet and then hit the wall with such force that the handle broke and the metal pot was dented from the impact. Needless to say, the officer didn't spend a whole lot of time up there alone anymore. Another officer spoke of something that happened in another original site unit. He was there alone when he heard a deep, rhythmic thumping noise coming from a wing that was under renovation and therefore empty. It started out faint, but became more noticeable. As he lingered alone in the unit doing his checks, the noise got louder and louder. 
He finished his checks, which he did thoroughly, but admittedly in a hurry, and got out of there as quick as he could. There are many other stories of noises, particularly the sound of doors closing, which is odd as all the doors are locked to standard procedure. People often hear voices, footsteps, and other inexplicable sounds. These stories are not limited to the officers either. A former guest of the jail shared a story about being in his cell. One night he was woken up by what he thought was his cellmate trying to get in his upper bunk with him. He could feel something cold and solid all the way up his back and felt the blankets being tugged. The inmate jumped off the bunk only to see his cellmate in his own bed, wrapped in his blanket, facing the wall, and sleeping deeply. The poor man was so affected by this experience that he begged the correctional officer to put him in another cell. When I visited the prison, I was struck by quite a number of different presences that remained within the walls. The impression I got was that they were not from the time when the facility was a prison, but more likely from when it was a mental hospital. The ones who have remained are quite likely not even aware they're dead, and are also likely to cause the trouble. I didn't get the impression that they were malicious, but they are certainly active and enjoy scaring people, officers or inmates, it doesn't matter to them, although they're likely to go a little easier on the inmates, as they see them more as compatriots. Man, they'll publish anything these days. <laughs> Jealous? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you get to hang out with a bunch of inmates. That sounds awesome. Good for you. <laughs> it was a really neat tour. I haven't been in a prison for a number of years, so it was interesting to go back and kind of have all that culture and energy come back to you. It's a nice prison, though. Like, they have a wood shop in there. and, and Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The, the so. front is so foreboding. And, and it was designed to be. It makes sense. Yeah, no, they built that tiny door in the front so that you knew, you know, you were going somewhere where you weren't getting out of easily. It was, right. yeah, it's really interesting. And, and listeners, obviously, if you're, if you're not in the Victoria area, as most of you are not, uh, look up Wilkinson Jail. Yeah. It's, it's a very, very, uh, it, it looks very old school. Like a castle. Like It does, yeah. It yeah. looks like, from the front, it looks like a castle. Mitchellville. I spent a large portion of my 20s and 30s working at Mitchellville, which is a women's prison in Iowa, and you'd hear a lot about ghosts. Inmates would talk about a little girl on the grounds who can be heard bouncing a ball in the admin building, but I was young and skeptical, and sometimes inmates just talked to have something to say, so I never thought much of it. It wasn't until I moved over to Unit 5 that I started to question my skepticism. It was the night after we'd had a group of inmates transferred over from another part of the prison. Sometime before lights out, there was a commotion in one of the cells. When I went over to see what was going on, the inmates, who were quite agitated, said their fan had moved across the table by itself while they were watching television. In the days to come, the new inmates would complain about sounds keeping them up at night, running footsteps and a bouncing ball coming from somewhere just out of view. One inmate even claimed to see a young girl making the noise. She said she was about five years old, maybe just under four feet tall with strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. An older inmate, who claimed to have been a resident of the industrial girls' school that was on the Mitchellville site before it was a prison, said the spirit resembled a girl she remembered being chained up in the basement after asking for more food, but how true that is, I don't know. What I do know is that the basement door would slam on its own. And that's not all. I left Mitchellville shortly before Unit 5 was condemned, and the prisoners dispersed throughout the other buildings, but for a while I stayed close with Wendy, another guard I'd gotten to know during my time there. She told me about something that happened during her rounds. She was passing the condemned unit when she heard music coming from the basement. When she went down there to check, she could see through the window of a locked room that an old dial radio on a shelf was playing. She didn't have a key for that room, and since most guard keychains are identical, that meant no one else did either. But that radio was in there, and it was playing. 
Then as she watched, the dial started to turn, switching stations, before finally turning itself off. Wendy and I don't talk anymore, and I've heard that Mitchellville has been basically rebuilt from the ground up as a purpose-built facility instead of a converted girls' school, but I wonder if anyone there still hears that bouncing ball or sees a little girl. Nice. That was, again, one of the few uh, stories we have from working prisons. Yeah. And I don't know what the hell you do. Like, the the idea of, you know, the, the story you told uh, from your book where, uh, which was, I think, called The Strange Little Place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that dude who's, you know, he's in a cell, and all of a sudden he's got something touching him. Yeah. Where the hell do you go? Right. That's like being... That, well, that's, that's why he was panicked. And yeah. There's another story in there about another guy in a cell, and he's there. It's in their sort of first night cells, you know, before they assign them to a unit. Right. He felt someone tugging at him. He felt it. The, the cell got really, really cold, and then he started to hear mocking laughter. Oh, and God. He, yeah, and he was, like, freaking out, because you're literally in a cage. Of course. And he the guard came, because, of course, he's screaming his head off, and he said to the guard, um, please, 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 just put me anywhere else, anywhere else. And the guard was like, yeah, okay. And the prisoner said afterwards to the guard, he's like, have you, you know, heard of stuff like that before? And he's like, oh, yeah. He goes, I've gone past there when it's empty. And um, heard that. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. So they still put people in there because not apparently it doesn't affect everybody. But this poor guy was ready to just peel his own skin off together. Holy man. So he just put him in a different cell. And th- the fact that that happens so easily, because there is a bit of an adversarial relationship, of, oh, course, of course, between yeah. the COs and, and the prisoners. And a lot of times the prisoners, they are trying to get whatever they can. Of course. Um, and as the CO, you kind of have to limit that or make that a reward system. Right. So the fact that the CO is like, yeah, no problem at all. I'm going to move you right now. Because he knows. He knows. Yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. A listener in Alcatraz. A while back, my sister and I went on a mini vacation to San Francisco. I don't like big cities, but having the opportunity to be in the same place as the occupation of Alcatraz by Native peoples enticed me. Not to mention Escape from Alcatraz was a movie that I grew up on. Having seen or heard things about ghostly encounters there was also intriguing, so my sister and I got tickets for the tour. I did not know what to expect, so I walked off the ferry wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. We started out climbing up the hill towards the main area of the prison, Block A. It was an audio tour, so we were given headsets to listen to as we walked around the prison. It was great listening to the stories and seeing where it happened. However, there is an uneasy feeling around the prison, and due to the headphones and large group of people that were there, I couldn't get acquainted with the space I was in. My senses were in overdrive, trying to grasp on what was going on around me, so my sister and I tried our best just to move along the tour. It wasn't until we got to the maximum security wing of the prison that things turned dark. This was one of the only areas that the cells were open and people could walk into them. We saw people walking in and taking photos, which we thought was funny and wanted to try. I waited patiently for Kid and his dad to get done. Once they walked out, I walked in. However, my excitement turned to dread when I did. As soon as I passed the cell door, I felt an uneasy and dark feeling. 
I was not alone in that cell, and I was unwelcome in that space. I looked at my sister, and I could see the fear in her face. She snapped photos the whole time, and I felt like someone was standing right behind me, trying to intimidate me out of that cell. Not only did we book it from the cell, but that entire wing. When we got into the library area, she asked, did you feel that? I responded, hell yeah, why do you think I rushed out? From that moment on, we felt like something was following us. We'd finished our tour, and we were heading towards the ferry. My sister stopped and suggested we say a prayer or a song and give an offering to the restless spirits on the island so they won't follow us anymore. Once we did that, the feeling of being followed was gone. And thank you for that story, anonymous listener. Yes, thank you. Or, who's not actually anonymous, but asked, us, <laughs> asked to remain so. But uh, that's really cool. And yeah, I, have you been to Alcatraz? Uh, no, I have meant to. I've been to San Francisco a few times, but just never gotten my act together to get to Alcatraz. I, I've been there, but again, it was long. I think it was in when I went to Alcatraz was 08. So long before I had any interest in the paranormal and really understood what I was experiencing. Right. But uh, I would be curious to go back and, and see if I if I do feel Now anything. that you're a little more aware. Yeah, 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 that's it. I will say as far as abandoned prisons go, I, I watched a movie the other night called um, Against the Night. Okay. And it was, it's a horror film, of course. But it's shot in Holmesburg Prison in Philadelphia, which is an ab- uh, an abandoned prison, which I think does tours now. Right. And what a creepy ass place. Oh yeah, um, the old East Coast prisons are the worst. Oh man, it it yeah. looks like a dungeon. Yeah, it's terrifying. There's and- a famous prison in Toronto called the Don Jail. And um, they don't use the old part anymore, but they kept it up because they use it for movies and TV. Oh, yeah. And it's built in the round. So you go in there and there's, I think, three floors right. with railings. And then it's in a great big circle. You're in a, like a drum, yeah, essentially. Yeah, yeah. And all around the outside of the cells. And the oh, center is so all open. So it's it's like the uh, they call it the panopticon. Yeah. Where you're, all, you're always being viewed. Yes. Oh, man. It is... So disturbing. I bet. Yeah. I think in the in the bits section, I think we might have a little bit from the Don Jail. Oh, okay. Yeah. I know we had listeners recommending Kingston Prison. Oh, I want to go there. Uh, yeah, me too. Well, um, not as a guest. <laughs> I understand. Just as a visitor. Yes. Uh, but um, we didn't really find anything that was sort of a first person story from there. No, because again, it's a working prison. There's a bunch of them in Kingston. That's where like Paul Bernardo is. And oh, Some right. of our more famous... Nasty gotcha. people. Gotcha. Um, okay. They all they send them all to Kingston. Right. Yeah. Uh, that explains it then. Toll slang. This story has been previously published. It's condensed from a report that originally appeared in the January twenty second, nineteen ninety nine edition of the Phnom Penh Post in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And if I'm pronouncing that wrong, my apologies. The souls of the prisoners who've been tortured and killed during Pol Pot's regime, in which is now the Toll Slang Museum, are hungry. So hungry that guards there say a benefactor needs to come forward and feed them regularly. Otherwise, they are not happy. And as can be imagined, an unhappy ghost is a problem. The ghosts always haunt us if we don't invite the monks to pray and offer them food, says museum security guard Kio Monroth. The ghosts use a variety of techniques to express their torment. Monroth says sometimes it is screaming voices from the torture rooms, sometimes it is a sound of chains being dragged across the floor. Other guards say they have often seen a ball of fire flying from the south and dropping into the north side of the museum. Monroth says that in 1995 he had a nightmare about an evil ghost coming to take him away. He said the ghost was a large black shadow figure with long tusks. Ta Long Tusks said, I have come to take you, but I said no. The ghost still kept asking me and I kept refusing. 
The ghost then turned his attention to another of the guards sleeping in the room. Monroff says he awoke and turned to his friend Sofat in the next bunk for help, but his friend had turned into the ghost. So Monroth kicked his friend slash ghost twice. Monroth says he then jumped out from under his mosquito net with the ghost chasing him. This woke the four remaining guards. His colleagues soon became frightened as Monroth told them of his dream. Finally, all of them decided to stay and sleep in one group, but they then realized they had not seen Sofat since he got his kicking. A quick search soon found him asleep next to one of the old torture rooms, an area that Sofat tried to avoid at night because he was very frightened of the ghosts. Sofat went back with his friends, but 15 minutes later, the guards heard the sound of knocking coming from Sofat's net. When they checked, they found him dead. Most of the guards had no doubts that the ghost who had haunted Monroth had switched his attention to Sofat and had taken him to a dark place and stolen his soul. Sofat's wife, Kim Chandara, says that her husband had not been sick, and a doctor who examined the body more prosaically suggested a heart attack. We know the ghost will haunt us, especially before Pachum Ben and the Khmer New Year ceremony. Again, uh, pronunciation. So we always invite the monks to pray here before the ghosts haunt us, says another guard named Falcon. Ung Samun, 52, another guard at Tolsleng, says he had often been haunted since starting work at the museum, but it did not worry him till Sofat died. Now he says he does not trust the ghosts and is a bit more cautious with them. His most surprising visitation has been from Chinese ghosts who chat away during the night in one of the rooms, but he does not understand what they are saying. But ghosts are not only concerned with snatching food or souls, sometimes revenge is on their list. Han Tai, 59, said he and four other men took over handling cremations at Wat Lanka after the previous team got caught by ghosts stealing from their corpses. Tai says some of the people from the old team had stolen valuables from a coffin before they cremated the corpse. A ghost visited the men at night and demanded the property back, Tai says. One of the men told Tai that the ghost dragged him off his bed demanding his clothes back. The story eventually got back to the monks who fired the thieves. Tai says that even a knowledge of Pali will not protect a thief from a ghost because without honesty, Pali is ineffective. Pali is a language native to the Indian subcontinent and the sacred language of uh, Theravada Buddhism, just for those of you who don't know, which included me, quite frankly. Yeah, I, and me as well. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to look it up. I really looked hard to find a story from Tolslang because... Uh, it is such an infamous prison. Oh, I just can't imagine. And um, I I sort of have a, a vague, very te uh, tenuous personal connection to there because years ago I worked on this uh, newspaper that was sort of themed at the immigrant community. Right. And I ended up interviewing a woman whose family had escaped the Khmer Rouge. Oh, wow. Yeah. And um, it was quite a horrific story. I mean, the, of course, the Khmer Rouge, they were killing the wealthy. Yeah. And uh, people of privilege. So her mother actually, her mother had long, beautiful nails because they were wealthy. Her mother pulled them out. Oh my God. So it, it, she would not be spied as a, a rich woman. And the story goes on and it's quite horrific, but the, the father was taken away and uh, they assumed he was killed because he was yeah. taken away to yeah. Tolslang. Well, years later, one of the girls grew up and was being, shall we say, harassed by a police officer. Right. Until they realized it was her father. <gasps> no. Yes. And, and he, it stopped after that, but yeah, he, he was, I guess he stopped this girl on the street and he was being very creepy and forward. And it came out through the conversation that her father had been taken away to X, Y, and Z. And they did the math and realized, holy shit, I'm your father. No. Yes. No. Yikes. But uh, yeah, it's uh, a particularly grim episode of the ghost story. Guys. Yeah. Who knew that prison would uh, produce these dark stories? <laughs> Jesus.
Next story is called County. Years back, I was desperate for work and ended up spending some time as a CO in a county jail. The money wasn't great, but it was stable work in a poor county, so I stuck with it as long as possible, which turned out to be a few years. Most of the time, the job was tense but routine, and you got used to the rhythms of the place. Then, every now and again, you'd get a curveball. Sometimes that would be a high-risk offender going for a CO's eyes. Other times it could be, well, something else. Sometimes that would be a general feeling of being watched, which was always worse after 3 a.m. Other times it would be inmates, some of whom were the hardest, most frightening people I've ever met, hitting their emergency button in the middle of the night because, according to them, ghosts had come up to them. This particular something else happened during one of my stretches in the high-security unit. This is where the hard cases were kept. Inmates who represented a danger to others or who were connected to higher-profile cases, which might make them targets. Their only entertainment was television in the day room, which they could watch by standing at their cell doors. On this particular shift, I was working nights and doing my rounds before lights out. The first two rounds went fine, without any surprises, and so I headed upstairs. In the cell at the top of the stairs, I saw an inmate standing at his door watching television. For a moment, my eyes flicked over to the television to see if I could see what he was watching. I don't know why. Just curious, I guess. Now understand, when I say my eyes flicked over, I mean flicked. This was a matter of a second. Two at most. But when I looked back, the inmate was gone. I thought he was just real fast for a guy who spends all his time indoors, but when I got up to the cell door, it was empty. The inmate was never there. The other guys had talked about haunting in the jail before that I had never experienced anything dramatic myself. After all, who doesn't expect to feel watched in a prison? Now, I didn't know what to think. After my rounds, I spoke to my sergeant and told him what had happened. He didn't seem very surprised. And when I told him what cell it had happened in, he nodded. He said that when he was a young officer, the inmate in the cell had been a man who'd killed himself after being charged with the murder of his own child. My sergeant had been new at the jail when this happened and, and still believes the man had been framed and committed suicide out of sheer despair. I guess we'll never know for sure, but no matter what, it seems like he never got away. Now he's locked up in there forever with whatever the hell else it is that walks that place at night. Locked up forever. What a horrible goddamn concept. Right? The idea, again, of being locked up with something in a cell. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just can't even imagine. No, that's terrifying. Something's screwing with you and you got yeah. nowhere to go. You literally can't get out of Oh, there. Yeah. man. No, that's fear in itself. Again, who knew prison would produce such despairing stories <laughs> on the ghost story, guys? <laughs> How can we start this year off in the most grim fashion possible? <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's pick a subject uh, that produces, that connects to suicide. Should we do prisons <laughs> or a children's hospital? <laughs> the Lord of Flies. Adapted from a story in Hauntings of Kentucky State Penitentiary by Steve Asher. This story comes from the time I spent working at Kentucky State Pen back in the 80s. Some people called it the Castle on the Cumberland, but to me it was always KSP, and it was a bad place to be. For guards, inmates, hell, for houseflies. Some horrific shit happened in that place, and it's left a mark, both on the place and everyone who passes through there. Now, what I'm about to describe to you is going to strain believability, so let's get that out of the way up front. If I hadn't seen it myself, I very much doubt I'd believe it. But I did see it, and so here we are. At the time, I was working on a late shift, early afternoon going into the evening. I was outside in the yard and had just rung the bell to announce afternoon lockup. It had been an intense day, and the air was heavy. 
Everyone went inside more or less without hassle, but it was a kind of mood where that wasn't a given. After I'd had my lunch, I went into the shift captain's office where he was handing out assignments for the evening. As it turned out, mine was to go into the yard and sweep the fence line for tampering or breaches. The reason you do that is sometimes inmates will work bits of wire free from the fence and use that to build a weapon. So, out into the yard I went, my flashlight in hand. The sun was setting, and shadows in the yard were getting long. Combine that with the heavy atmosphere I had noticed earlier, and the sudden sense that I was being watched, and you had yourself an uneasy trip around the fence line. Things got more intense when I unlocked the gate that connected the yard to the industrial part of the prison. I searched the buildings there, shining my flashlight into the ever-deepening shadows, not finding much of anything, but, at the same time, becoming more and more convinced I wasn't alone. My captain must have felt the same uneasy vibe as I did, because later that night he sent me back out into the yard, this time with a metal detector. Some nights, I think you're looking for something you can't actually touch. You just feel like something is off, but since you can't put that in a report, you look and look for a physical thing to blame the feeling on. That night was like that, and of course, even with a metal detector, I didn't find a weapon. But that oppressive feeling got worse as I stood there, alone under the stars, and for no reason I could understand... I started shaking. Now, as I mentioned, it was a hot, humid Kentucky night and there was no earthly way I could have been cold. But when my legs went out from under me and I collapsed to my knees, I felt cold run through me. When that oppressive weight finally let me get back to my feet, that's when I saw the orbs. There were three of them, floating in the humid air about ten feet in front of me, and they kept changing color, all sickly shades of yellow and brown. They looked... wrong but I couldn't turn away from them, and when they started to drift away towards the darkness of the water tower, I followed. They stopped near one of the tower's metal supports, and that's when the nausea started. I was hit by a blinding headache and threw up several times. As I was bent over waiting for my head to clear, I couldn't help but notice the remains of the lunch I'd thrown up, barely visible in the dim, and that's when I realized it was moving. It was impossible to look away from the vomit which was vibrating, a horrible, chitinous movement I quickly realized was being caused by flies. Hundreds of flies. I stumbled back and watched in absolute terror as the flies gathered around the orbs like moths to a goddamn flame. They seemed to be taking some kind of shape, oblong and horrible. There was a scream then, and I thought it had come from me, but no. It was from whatever the lights and flies were becoming. And the smell hit me. Urine and feces, and I couldn't handle it anymore. I ran. That thing never showed itself again, but ever since, I've spent whole nights awake, staring at the ceiling of my bedroom, wondering what the hell it was. My only clue came upon realizing that the site of the incident was very near the old sweat box, an awful, coffin-shaped place where inmates used to be tortured a long time ago. They would be left to stew in their own mess in the Kentucky heat for days at a time, with only the smallest air hole for any kind of ventilation. I don't know whether what I saw was a ghost or something else, but I have to assume it's still there, waiting for the next hapless sucker to wander off into the dark. Wow. Yeah, and, and again, that is that is adapted from the book Hauntings of Kentucky State Penitentiary by Steve Asher, and right. Asher was a CO there. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he's got two books. I think there's another one, uh, Haunting of Asylum, right. or pardon me, The Hauntings of an Asylum. I can't remember which, but right. if you look for Steve Asher on uh, Kindle, you'll find it. It was only a couple bucks. And there's some really, really interesting stories in there about uh, KSP, which sounds like a horrible place. No kidding. Uh, Asher goes into more detail about the box. Yeah. 
and uh, it just sounds like I mean it's torture. Yeah, no, it, it's, well, there's no other word for it. Yeah, it's it's horrifying. But stuff. I have to say, if I saw orbs, I wouldn't be following them. No, no, no going the other way. <laughs> Going the other way. And, well, in the original text, he sort of feels as though he was compelled to follow them all. Right. Yeah, I get that. Um, Like, come and see what we're trying to show you here. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I I think I would have a hard time not looking. I don't know. It It depends how far away they are from me. I guess, yeah. If they're three feet from me, no. Mm -mm. I'm going to lock myself (laughs) in my car. Well, it's kind of interesting because we've seen... People talk about orbs and photos, and generally I'm not impressed. Yeah, no, uh, Because that's typically dust. But... When we have had now several stories of people seeing orbs just physically. Yes. And I'm really interested in that. Yeah. Because I, I think the first story we had was in the very first Haunting of L.A. episode. There was a purple orb in downtown Los Angeles. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, since then, it's it's come up a handful of times. Or even really the Tolsling story. You know, there was a fireball. Yeah. I'm absolutely fascinated by that. But this idea of like what, what that represents. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So, again, the book was Hauntings of Kentucky State Penitentiary by Steve Asher. And uh, I hopefully never go to a prison in Kentucky. <laughs> you can't avoid them. Yes. I mean, anywhere would be great, but especially yeah. Kentucky. <laughs> it's a long way to Inverary. Scotland's Inverary Jail sits overlooking Loch Fine, a huge stone edifice with a horrible history. Opened in 1820, Inverary is the former county courthouse and prison for Argyle, and over 6,000 people, men, women, and children, some as young as seven, some mentally ill, were sentenced and served their time within its walls. It hasn't been a working prison in more than a hundred years, but the cruelty enacted during its functional years appears to have left their mark, and Inverary, now a museum, has become famously haunted. Multiple paranormal shows have conducted investigations on site, And while it's easy to dismiss their findings as entertainment, it's harder to dismiss the first-person experiences of people who visited and even worked there. Three different women on three separate occasions have refused to enter the kitchen area because they saw what appeared to be the spirit of a woman cowering behind the door. One visitor, who was at the museum with her husband and young daughter, said that upon entering the jail, she became aware of what she called an unsettling presence that made her and her husband lightheaded, dizzy, and sickly. In an interview given to ghoststory.co.uk, a museum employee has said, One evening I was going up the stairs in the old prison. I was trying to pick the right key out to close down the sound system when something black moved clean through me. I dropped my keys and fell to my knees. I felt a deep chill. Every hair on my body was standing on end. I called to my colleague at the bottom of the stairs, but he said he heard and felt nothing. But I definitely felt it. You know, it only just now occurred to me the similarity between that and the Kentucky story. Yeah, the cold falling to your knees. That's yeah, crazy. yeah. Crazy. No, that's awful. And I, I'm kind of fascinated too by just the, the, how stupid we have been in past that we're sending children to a goddamn prison. <laughs> like, what insane crime and punishment nonsense is this? You know what? It's so funny though because we get people who come on the ghost walk, and sometimes those kids are really young, and we usually throttle back the stories a bit, right? Right? Like we delete the goriness and we kind of ease off on the scary parts. <laughs> right. But I had a kid last night who's like four and he's like, have you seen the movie 1408? <laughs> that movie scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, it scared And me this four-year-old's <laughs> telling me what a great movie it is. Oh, man. So last night I was doing the tour with Bryn. And I went up to her, like, right after I had this conversation with little Hellraiser there. <laughs> and uh, I'm like, don't worry about backing off on the scare. He's, <laughs> yeah. 
The kid's fine. Yeah, the kid's got bigger balls than all of us. Oh, my Lord. I couldn't believe it. And I'm looking at his parents who look perfectly normal, so I don't know what was going on there. (laughs) Well, I mean, if there's one thing I've learned from listening to podcasts like uh, Switchblade Sisters and the Movie Crypt is that uh, some people start horror real young. Yes. And and, I mean, I I guess I, I wasn't four, but I mean, I remember I was six, I think, when my maybe seven when my dad took me to see RoboCop 2 in the theater. Oh my. And that's a very, very it's intense. intense movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I, I was maybe nine when I saw Silence of the Lambs <gasps> and The Shining. So no! I mean, it explains a few things. I was nine when I was reading like Pet Cemetery. Oh yeah, yeah, And yeah. stuff like that. So the same thing, really. Now that explains something. <laughs> I went through a phase uh, I think grade five, grade six, grade seven. Any book with a black cover at the library, I was reading it. Of course. In the paperbacks, which is how I ended up reading like Flowers in the Attic. I don't know if anybody remembers that series. Yikes. But that was so twisted and terribly written, I might add. But. And again, questions about Ian falling <laughs> into place. <laughs> it's all coming together. All my formative experiences. <laughs> yes. So as I mentioned at the top of the show, we found uh, a, a lot of little bits of stories that we couldn't develop into larger things. Right. And so uh, we thought we would just share them, you know, as we found them. And I think there's maybe uh, about a dozen of these little little bits that uh, you know, Ian and I are going to trade off on here. And the first batch comes from Angola, as I mentioned, actually called the Louisiana State Penitentiary which apparently has a, an annual inmate rodeo that the public can go see. Oh my God, that's awesome. I know. I, I would kind of, I mean, uh, yeah, kind of like to see that. William Head puts on a play every year. Really? Yeah, William Head Prison, you can go. It, well, uh, hard pass. Okay. <laughs> apparently it's quite good. I'll take your word for it. <laughs> I worked at Angola from March 1993 to March 2000. I believe several areas of the prison is haunted. You can actually hear prisoners screaming and chains rattling, and that's in an old empty cell block not being used anymore. I also know that the lethal injection room is definitely haunted. The building that once served as a woman's dormitory up until the 60s now houses newly hired officers that are participating in their initial job training. Staff have reported immense feelings of depression and sadness in this dormitory. Shadow people have also been cited. Sadness in a prison? Weird! In the 1960s, a kitchen worker at Kroonstad Prison in South Africa was eventually discharged from her position because every time she crossed the open kitchen, she was filled with a crushing sense of panic and dread, which would cause her head to pound. A visitor to the decommissioned Cornwall jail in Ontario described hearing voices calling their name and feeling an icy hand around their neck. They also spotted a man who appeared to be a guard sitting on a stool. The man disappeared shortly after being seen. At that point, I'd be buying uh, blessed knuckle dusters. (laughs) Choke me out, you (laughs) dead son of a bitch. A father and son who visited Oxford Castle in prison in the UK heard footsteps while touring through the site's crypt. Also, when they arrived home and reviewed their photos, they discovered that every shot the father had taken with his SLR camera was present, except for photos taken in the crypt. They were just gone. That's annoying. Right? Thank God for Google. <laughs> I just look at this shit online. I don't exactly. Need I don't photos. even take pictures anymore. That reminds me of, uh, I interviewed a reporter for my book, A Strange Little Place, oh, available everywhere God. fine books are sold. Mostly Amazon or at our website at uh, ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. <laughs> Get them signed that way. <sighs> Subtle, I know. You can also buy a pin. Anyways, You're exhausting. Just stop. It's true and handsome Ugh. and virile. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Anyways, I interviewed this reporter who had done a piece on a haunted house in Revelstoke uh, back in 2000. And he said that all the audio he recorded in the house was corrupted. Yeah. 
Everything like, else was fine on, on the same. Uh, I think it was actually like a, a, a what do you call it? A cassette recorder. Yeah. You know, this was sort of not pre digital. Old school. Yeah. Old school. Yeah. But everything on either side of it was fine. But everything recorded in the house was corrupted. Wow. And uh, it, the house is, is Holton House, which if you've read the book, is sort of re- the 800-pound gorilla of haunted houses right. in Revelstoke. <laughs> and uh, so I'm not surprised by this. Yeah. But it's kind of kind of interesting to know that other people have had this problem. Definitely. According to a November 2019 report from My Zimbabwe News, Joseph Sawela, an inmate at Harare Central Prison, has been receiving nightly visits from the spirit of a man he killed 21 years before. Real Cellmates cool. of Sawela say that he has to be woken from these terrors Almost every night. And I, I seem to feel like we had a story like that again back in the original Haunting of L.A. episode. There was a guy who keeps kept being dodged, dogged by the spirit of someone he killed. Yes. And I mean, part of me kind of thinks that's just your conscience coming yeah. for you, you know? <laughs> oh, I did kill someone. Oh, right. right that whole murder right, thing. Yeah. yeah. At Halawa Prison in Hawaii, where offices were built over top of the former gallows, officers who are too tired to safely drive home are given the option of staying overnight in the squad room. One CO, who had 25 years on the job, stayed over one night and woke to see a man in either a blue or white suit, he can't remember which, walk past his room and into another. The officer thought it had to have been his captain, which was odd because it was late for the man to be out, but not odd enough to remark on, and he went back to sleep. When he awoke, he checked in with his captain to see why he had been out, and the captain said he had been working on paperwork the entire time the officer had been asleep. Neither man was able to determine who or what the officer had seen. Other guards who have attempted to sleep in the squad room have also reported an anxious feeling that makes it difficult to sleep. Which, I mean, I would be anxious sleeping in a prison, too. <laughs> Especially over where they used to hang people. I, yeah, I've seen natural born killers. Yeah. I, no, 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 no. I'll sleep in my car. Thank you very I much. I wasn't even comfortable eating dinner there. <laughs> Let alone trying to go unconscious. No kidding. And last one. At the Wyoming Frontier Prison, just outside the town of Rollins, which closed in 1981 and has become a museum... Visitors have followed people around corners only for them to disappear once they're out of sight. And a number of people have reported hearing the sound of sobbing coming from the empty shower area. Oh, too many jokes. <laughs> Look, if you can't have a good shower cry when you're dead, what's the point? <laughs> He's upset because he can't get the right conditioner. <laughs> yeah. I saw I saw a joke on Twitter once. It was, uh, shower sex? Why would I fuck in my crying chamber? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> you don't want to mix the purposes of these things. No, so. no. It just sends all sorts of confused signals to your brain. And so uh, that's we have one more story after this, but I just want to say that if you do have any stories, if you, if you have worked in a prison or you are working in a prison and- uh, Or perhaps you're a former inmate. Or that. Yeah, yeah. that too. Uh, and you have an experience you want to share, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com, and we would love to hear it. And uh, as you'll see, I mean, uh, the final story we have from our listener, Michael, is very vague in terms of location. I mean, most of that was him- you know, keeping it, keeping it quiet, but yeah. also, you know, we stripped out a couple details and sure. our listener from Alcatraz as well. You know, if, if you want these things kept quiet, we're happy to do that. Uh, we're interested in the story. We certainly don't Absolutely. want any, uh, to out anyone or to get anyone in trouble. But if you do have a story, we'd love to hear it at ghoststoryguys at gmail.com. This last story comes from Michael. I have worked in four different prisons over the last six years, two for the Florida Department of Corrections and two for the Bureau of Prisons. The first one I worked at is what I'll be covering in this email. I had some experiences at the other locations, but not like at that first spot, which was a smaller, older prison with a long history of suicides and death. In the two years I worked there, four deaths happened while I was at work, two of them suicides. 
I worked primarily 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. in a T building that had three wings, two of which were open population, and one was a confinement unit where the inmates are locked down 23 hours a day. I had three personal happenings in that unit. One night at around 3 a.m., I was making rounds in the confinement wing, and as I passed the cell, I noticed two inmates inside, one on the lower bunk asleep and the other on the footlocker staring at the asleep inmate. After walking a few more cells, it hit me that I had seen two inmates in a cell where there should only be one. I turned back and shined my light, and there was the same inmate, asleep and alone. One night, my sergeant was going into wing one, an open pop wing, and I was in the bubble. There always has to be someone in the bubble at all times, since that's where the controls for the doors are. He walked onto wing one, and I looked down to fill in my log. When I looked up again, I saw him on the upper tier, towards the back of the unit, where the lights were not that good. All the inmates were locked inside their cells asleep, so I wasn't worried when he disappeared into the shadows. After a few minutes staring into the black, waiting for him to come out on the other side, there was a banging on the door of the unit, and I jumped. I looked down. It was my sergeant, waiting for me to open the door. He came into the bubble, and I asked how the hell he made it back to the door so fast. He was confused and said he'd only walked in and checked the emergency fire door. He'd never gone upstairs or anywhere near the stairs at all. There was no one else in that unit who wasn't in the cell. The bubble had a storage room and small restroom in the back. One night when I got up to go back to there to take a leak, I saw in the plexiglass that surrounded the bubble the reflection of a man in uniform leaning over the control board staring into the wing. The control room called my unit on the radio, and the reflection turned as if to reach for it, then looked towards me. I could see it try to speak, and then it just vanished. There were also three towers in the prison. They all had a small windowed room with a toilet. There was a small control board to open the tower's gates, a mini fridge, a microwave, and nothing else. I hated working those towers, as the silence and time stuck in your own head was miserable. Tower 1 was unmanned, Tower 2 was in the middle of the compound, so there you had something to do at least some of the shift. But Tower 3 was on the rec yard. There was no rec during my work hours, but the tower still had to be manned. There were two ways to get in the towers. Option 1 was to have the officer in the tower pop the gate and then lower the tube key down on a rope. Then you could open the tower door and walk up the spiral staircase, where the officer in the tower would unlock the trap door. Option two was using the emergency keys and control. They could pop the gate and the door, but not the trapdoor. Anyway, I was in tower three and it opened a window so I could smoke a cigarette when I heard the door at the base of the tower close. I had not opened the gate, so I assumed maybe the on-shift captain had grabbed the emergency keys. I flushed my cigarette to avoid being chewed out, then opened the trap. I heard footsteps coming up the tube and then they just stopped. I waited for a few and then looked down. The light was off. Why the hell would someone climb that tube with no light? I shone my flashlight down and there was no one. I had heard that door open, and I had heard someone climbing that tube. Where were they? The rest of that shift was terrible. Finally, we also had a vehicle that rode the perimeter road all night. Everyone told me before my first time out there not to hang out by the water tower, and I assumed they were just messing with me. I was wrong. After driving for four hours with eight to go, I decided to park for a bit and have a cigarette. It was a muggy Florida night, and the van had condensation all over it from the AC running inside. I parked out by the water tower and had gotten out to smoke when I heard the sound of something hitting the side of the van. I slowly walked over and looked, and nothing was there, but there was a small area where the water on the van was disturbed. 
As I stood there trying to figure out if I was just tired or if I'd really heard something, I heard a hit on the driver's side where I'd just been. And a second after, I heard the sound of skin sliding on the window. It lasted a few seconds, enough for me to be sure of what I was hearing. I held my shotgun close and walked around to the driver's side, and there was no one there, but there was a handprint on the driver's window, elongated all the way down as if it had slid the length of it. I stood there knowing I needed to get in the van and leave that spot, but I was in shock. Then I heard a scream in the woods, about 25-30 yards from the road. I turned to look and saw, deep in the trees, a set of glowing red eyes floating in midair staring at me. That gave me what I needed to get my ass in the van and drive from that area. The rest of the night I avoided that spot on the road and didn't stop again. I never worked perimeter at that institution after that, and about three months later I resigned and started my new career with the Federal Bureau of Prisons and never looked back. I still have friends that work there and they tell me stories from time to time. If you use this story, you can use all the info in this. Since I didn't name the prison, there shouldn't be any issue with that. Y'all keep up the good work. I love the show. Welcome back. Thanks, as always, to the rest of the team, Lou Greensmith, Anthony Germain, and Sarah Kent for their work on this and every episode. We appreciate the hell out of you guys and couldn't do it without you. First up, we have our patron shoutouts. Of course, we'd like to thank all our patrons, but we'd especially like to thank our latest patrons. They are... Teresa B. Zan667. Carolyn Lebrec. Chet. Samantha Roberts. Thank you so much for your contributions, everyone. We just can't tell you enough how much we appreciate it. We really do. It means the world to us. And uh, I know some of you have signed up and have not received your patron uh, packages yet. They are coming. We had uh, a little bit of a breakdown in the supply chain on the patron stickers. We switched providers and it, it backfired a little bit. But by the time you hear this, they should be on their way to you. Yay. But uh, thank you for your patience. And if you want to join the team, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. We have tiers at the $1, $5, 10 20 and $50 levels. Gets you everything from exclusive stickers designed by Vancouver Island artist Wanda Fraser to access to our monthly Cabin Fever episodes where Ian and I just shoot the breeze about whatever's going on in our lives. Uh, I'm sure this one will include lots of me cursing about my voice being all fucked up <laughs> because I am pretty mad about that. It's, it's, it's slowly, as you can hear, going back to normal, but it's not quite there yet. You also get access to our monthly Luke Lore show, which is uh, a deep dive into a folklore topic of Luke's choosing. You get access to our monthly live show, which is an opportunity for us to hang out with you. And that is usually uh, 45 minutes to an hour. And we take questions, talk about what's going on. There's certain things happening in the background that we can't talk about on the public show, but you get to hear about that there. And uh, yeah, it's just, again, an opportunity for us to hang out directly with you guys you also get access to Ian's smash hit, Christian Country album, Aware of Wonder. <laughs> Which everyone thinks is like, you're kidding. Oh, no, it is very real. <laughs> it's very, it, unfortunately, very it is, real. It is as very real as this episode was grim. <laughs> and you also get copies of 
art cards of my night photography. Again, head on over to patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys. That's patreon.com slash ghoststoryguys for more information. Next up, we have listener mail. Our courteous and efficient staff is on call 24 hours a day to serve all your supernatural elimination needs. We're ready to believe you. As always, we'd like to thank everyone who writes in. We appreciate all your comments, questions, and gentle criticisms. <laughs> and so this time around, we'd like to thank... Elizabeth. Lynn. Bob. Aiden. Jeffrey. BJ. Kim. Trina. Kathy. Christine. Jeffrey. Duskany. Caitlin. Denise. Rachel. Ben. Robin. Claire. Tom. Carolyn. Rin. Alex. Autumn. William. Rachel. And Nicole. Thank you so much for reaching out, guys, with your stories, your comments, questions, and yes, gentle criticisms. We really do enjoy hearing from you. Uh, we may not be able to write everyone back right away, but we will get to you. And your emails are always read. Always, always read. And we, we do love it. And we always, we do have some more listener story episodes planned. So if you have a story you want to share with us, ghoststoryguys at gmail.com is a way to do it. We're also on social media. We're on Instagram at instagram.com slash theghoststoryguys. We're on Twitter at ghoststoryguys, and that's administrated by Sarah. Make sure to go over there and say hi. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash ghoststoryguys. But uh, if you do want to share a story with us, we do recommend sending it to the email. Or now... There is another place you can send <gasps> That's it. That's right. Yes. We were not able to announce this on the last show, but we can now. We have started the ghost line. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. I'm leaving that in. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome for the free music. Thank you. Your check is in the mail. <laughs> but yes, because we know we have some people who uh, are not comfortable with email. They just, some people, you know, don't have email accounts or, you know, they're Don't want to type. Don't want to type. Well, uh, there's two ways you can reach us on the ghost line. You can call and leave a voicemail. And um, by the time you hear this, hopefully I will have all the details of that sorted out. But you can call, leave your story on a voicemail, possibly a series of voicemails, depending how long it is. Or you can text it to us. Oh, cool. Yeah. You can, so you'll be able to either text or call. That's cool. And, uh, we, of course, we won't be responding. Like we, You'll get a, an automated response if you text thanking you for your story or thanking you for your message. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're not able to, uh, to sort of engage in conversation on there. It's not set up for that. But right. if you want to text your story to us, you can. And the number for the ghost line is. Tell me. 925. Right. 553. Uh-huh. 4789. 4789. That's 925-553-4789. And that's for if you want to text, you want to call. That is a U.S. number, unfortunately. So if you're in Canada, you can still text it, but there may be an international charge. We do also have a 1-800 number for you to call if you are in Canada. It goes to the same place, but allows you to uh, get in touch without paying long distance. And what's that number? one 588 6920 if you're in Canada and you want to call the ghost line without incurring long distance fees, it is 1-888-588-6920. one 588 Sorry. Oh, boy. I tried. Yes. We'll call Ghost it. line. There. And yes, at some point we may come up with a fun jingle for that, <laughs> uh, but we're still just getting that ball rolling. But again. And if uh, you happen to be a musician or artist of some kind and you would like to do a jingle for that, <laughs> that would be most welcome as well. Yes. Yes. <laughs> But again, if, so those are the numbers. If you want to call or text the ghost line, share your story with us in that way. And you'll be able to find links to that in our show notes and uh, eventually on the website as well. But don't forget, if you are texting the number, that is a U.S. number. So, I, And I know the majority of our audience is in the U.S. Uh, but if you are a Canadian listener, unfortunately, the text option, you can do it. It just, there will be, uh, there may be a, a charge for 
a, a text message to the OS from your provider. Honestly, it's easier just to email us. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's, that's it, that's it. We also have a couple other new things coming up or that we would like to announce. Tell me. So uh, first up is we are just kind of feeling our way through this, but we have started a Ghost Story Guys subreddit. Yes. Now, I, I'm not really on Reddit very much myself, but Sarah knows it fairly well, and she will be administrating the subreddit, and that will be a place where you can go and talk about the show. Uh, we will periodically be posting in there. If you have, again, another place for you to share stories, we prefer you email them directly, but if you have something you want to post there, feel free to. And again, we're just feeling this out. This is all pretty new, but if you want to check it out, head on over to reddit.com slash r slash ghost story guys podcast. In March, we're also going to be relaunching the ghost story guys book club. Uh, that was something we tried a couple titles. Uh, we weren't crazy about the quality of the books we were, we were uh, sort of pulling. And so we thought we'd table it for a while and we will be relaunching that in March. So keep an ear out for that. We're going to be announcing the books and it's going to be a quarterly thing. So in, instead of a monthly or bi-monthly thing, there'll be four, uh, well, this year it'll be three books. And it just gives us some time to find quality paranormal material that brings you stories you're interested in without a lot of the garbage or, or poor writing that has dogged some of the stuff we've chosen in the past. And of course, there's going to be people who don't like it generally, and that's fine. But yeah, Sarah will also be spearheading that. And we will be announcing the book, I believe, in the beginning of March. So keep an ear out for that and uh, the relaunching of the Ghost Story Guys Book Club. Hopefully we can bring you guys some great, creepy stories. Our theme song is composed and performed by Peter of Pizzanta Music. You can find him online at soundcloud.com slash Music. Our story's theme is The Future Belongs to Them Now by Hexagram. You can find more from them at hexagram.bandcamp.com. That's hexagram with two X's, not three. Our bumper music is What's That Noise by Kevin Eustace, host of the podcast We Need to Talk About Ghosts. You can also find his music, which is fantastic, by searching Kevin J. Eustace wherever you stream your music. All other music and sound effects on this show are provided courtesy of Epidemic Sound. If you're looking for pod-safe music and sound effects for your next project, head on over to EpidemicSound.com and check them out. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. Helps get more eyes on the show and gives us the warm fuzzies inside. And if you want to pick up any Ghost Story Guys merch, head on over to redbubble.ghoststoryguys.com. There you'll find all our t-shirts, our many designs. And uh, if you do buy something, make sure to send us your receipt or forward us a screen cap of the receipt. And we'll send you a couple of Ghost Story Guys logo stickers as a thank you. Finally, if you want to purchase autographed copies of our books or Ghost Story Guys pins or art cards of my night photography, head on over to ghoststoryguys.bigcartel.com. And I guess that's going to do it. Yeah, we're just going to do a bit of a shout out. Oh, of course, yes. Uh, one of our listeners, Sean, who's over in uh, the UK, is having some brain stuff happening. And I, uh, as a fellow brain stuff experiential learner, uh, just want to say, you know, good luck to him and, and hope everything goes well. Yeah, good luck to Sean. Absolutely. And of course, how could I forget? Just wanted to give a shout out to our uh, patron, Sam, for whom Sam's Club is named. Sam had a close call last couple of weeks, and I, I know that he's better. I've heard from him privately, but good. I wanted to say on the show good. that yeah. I was too close for comfort. Yeah, exactly. So uh, we're glad to hear that you're back on the mend. All right. Now that is going to do it. Yes. Yes. We'll be back in two weeks with another show. And until then, into the darkness we go.
Ian Gibbs, hashtag horror. I am, 100%. <laughs> Get you doing funny skateboard videos on TikTok. No, fuck. <laughs> Call me Pod Daddy. No, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it feels good to laugh again. Yeah. Fuck. God. It wasn't fun. No, that's not fun. Not even on a date. <laughs> well, now we're the craving for death, guys. I am at least. Did you know I wrote a book, Brennan? My microphone's off. Oh. <laughs> Why do you do this to me? <laughs> you think they would figure that out pretty soon in Gotham? Like, oh, Joker's back. Check the theme parks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I gotta scroll down. Sure. Sure, I'll use my psychic eyes. <laughs>